Let's Talk Care with Casper and Christy, produced in the Ed Center Auditorium. Opinions expressed by guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the host or Prometica. Last time we ended with you leaving us hanging about woman that changed the landscape of Toledo Hospital. Now you have your opportunity and we're ready for you to spill the beans. I appreciate that, Christy. It's someone obviously near and dear to my heart. It's Caroline Jobst. It's kind of the story of Jobst, which is really fascinating. She gave a very large endowment and gift to the Toledo Hospital back in 1989. I believe it was Christmas Eve when they actually signed it. That was really to create a center of excellence in vascular care and really to honor her late husband, Conrad. It's kind of a pretty cool story. How does she kind of get to where she was to be able to give us this endowment? Well, she married this amazing dynamic guy, uh, Conrad Jobst, who was much older than her, probably about 30 years older than her, if I remember right. He came to the United States in the early 1900s and joined a local brush company here in Toledo. He patented the first machine that attaches bristles to brushes, and they took over the modern toothbrush market in the early 1900s. Toothbrushes. Toothbrushes. What were we doing before the 1900s? They were actually handmade with pig bristles and uh, ceramics. He came up with a new product called celluloid, which is what the bristles typically are nowadays. And he patented the machine that was able to weave those and attach those bristles. He combined the the Owens Glass Company to package those. So another good Toledo company uh, that helped out in that, but really kind of a fascinating story. Yeah. So how did he kind of get into the... You know, from toothbrushes to vascular. Good questions. He did a lot of things. He had about 40 or 50 patents by the time he passed away, one of which was the retractable hardtop. He had a 1933 Auburn that he conditioned himself and made this four-piece retractable hardtop that actually he sold the patent to Ford. And the first commercial convertible, the Ford Fairlane, was made with his patent. Uh, but he also had really bad venous insufficiency. So he had bad varicose veins, and it caused him quite a bit of discomfort. He noticed that when he was in the pool... The buoyancy gradient in the pool made his legs feel better. Being an ingenious innovator, he decided to come up with a weave with some special fabrics and created a machine that mimicked that buoyancy gradient and actually helped return blood flow from the bottom of the foot back up the leg. And that gave him great relief, and he was really excited about this. Unfortunately, he had a heart attack about a year after he started the company, survived that. It was a pretty significant heart attack, but he started involving his younger wife, Caroline, in the business. They didn't have any kids. And unfortunately, a couple years after that, he passed away from another heart attack, but she took over the company, ran it, knocked it out of the park. When she took over the company, she was significantly younger than him. She was, what, less than 40 when she took over the company? Yeah, I think she was maybe about 38. It was 1957 when he passed, and she was born in 1919. And, you know, 1957, there weren't a lot of women running businesses. And their factory was over on Miami Street, just across the river. And she knew everybody in the factory. She knew all of her employees' lives, knew their kids' names, everything that was going on there, and just kind of really ran a great shop, very family-oriented business. And they just grew and grew and grew and started selling stockings, obviously, all over the world. And then when she finally sold the company in, I believe it was 1985, to Beersdorf Jobst, uh, she was the largest shareholder of their stock in the world. And that's where, obviously, she had the means to, to honor her late husband. She had been remarried since, but she honored her late husband with that large gift to us and a smaller gift to University of Michigan for a basic science vascular research lab as well. It's kind of crazy to learn about someone that's been 
in Toledo that has such an impact on oral care and vascular care. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. And that history. And and I, I think it's just, you know, the entrepreneurism that she had to grow the company the way she did, but obviously do it with such strong relationships with her employees. I have a couple patients in my practice that actually worked for her. It's always fun to revisit and talk about her and reminisce with them. And obviously we still use the Job stockings on a regular basis and we still have that endowment. So the great thing about that endowment is we were able to have resources to do education, research, some really astounding things at Job's here locally that I don't know that many places in the country even compare to what we have and what we do. We're really proud of that. Being a young woman in the 1950s and 60s running a business, what do you think that was her driving factor to get her to where she needed to go and her vision? It's a really good question. And, you know, there are still a few people like uh, Doug Metz, who was our longtime, he was her representative designee on the board. He was her personal attorney. So he's a great one to talk to about some of those things. He just said she was just a fun-loving, vivacious person that just kind of had this drive and knew that she was filling a need for people, just like Conrad suffered from that. She knew that this was helping people, and that was a, a big part of the mission of the organization. And I think it's it's those strong beliefs that really kind of propelled her forward, and she just kind of kept doing what was right. It's kind of ironic, too, that, you know... She, as a woman, expanding a company based on stockings. But she had a passion for teaching and wanting to do good things in Toledo. And so I think it's kind of unique that we say the word Jobst daily. And so many people say the word Jobst daily and not really understand like the roots of it and how it got here and how, as an organization, lucky to have that endowment so we can grow our organization and be a community resource. I totally agree. And I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head too. I just think you, know, you look back at that time period, 50s, 60s, 70s, and, and having a female run business like that was a rare thing. Obviously it was a very successful thing on her part, but then she always gave back. A personal endowment gives to the church, the symphony, some other local organizations. It's her legacy lives on forever and that's fantastic. Creating the Jobs Institute, how do you think that's impacted you? Well, as a vascular surgeon, right, we, we use the stockings on a daily basis to help patients. It's probably one of the most common things we, we treat and recognize is that venous insufficiency. But the gift that she's given us uh, allows us to just explore, from a research perspective, new and innovative ways to treat patients. It provides us a lot of resources to create a great educational environment for our vascular fellows and our surgery residents, which now rotate on the service. It's just a great team to be a part of, to be quite honest. I mean, we're always looking to strive to do better, uh, to create better care uh, for our patients, better pathways and better treatments. Really having that resource that she provided gives us the freedom to do that and explore where otherwise we might not have that opportunity. How does the Job's gift pack the training of vascular surgeons? We are able to kind of, like I said, resource a training program, which obviously there's a amount of staff that's required for that. And now there's you know, educational requirements, fellows. You know, we get reimbursed a little bit of money for fellows from the government, but not as much as a resident, just because they're later in training. So we're able to supplement that. The other thing we were able to do is get another gift and start a vascular medicine fellowship. So vascular mm-hmm. medicine is like, uh, they take care of a lot of the vascular care, but don't do surgery. They help us with some minor procedures. They do some vein care. They do some wound care as well. Uh, John Fish heads that department for us at Jobs, and there are very few vascular medicine fellowships in the country, only about 15, depending on how often you check. It's a great enhancement. I think it makes our vascular surgeons better because it brings a, a different element of care uh, to the team and a different focus. They do a great job with a lot of risk reduction and whatnot. And so incorporating that, we're the only place in the country that has vascular medicine embedded in vascular surgery, and it really works quite well together. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is just training fellows is fantastic. There's only about 160 vascular surgeons that graduate training a year nationwide. So there's not that many. And 
having the ability to have a couple fellows a year graduate from Job's that helps us recruit and retain, uh, and it helps us send people off to be great basket surgeons for other communities. So we're really, really proud of that. So when you say fellow, can you kind of explain what's the difference between like a med student, a resident, and a fellow? Absolutely. No, that's a good question, especially as we evolve as an academic medical center. I think it's really important. We understand that. So when you're in med school, typically the first two years of medical school are predominantly book work. You're in the classroom in the uh, some of the laboratories. Uh, and then the second two years, you do a lot of your clinical work. So the med students that we see on the wards rounding with teams and whatnot are typically a third or a fourth year medical student. And they're trying to go through the different fields of medicine, decide what they like, learn as much as they can about each one, but then obviously they're going to pick a, a training pathway. And then you have, it's a wonderful day, they call it match day in March, and you basically interview for your residency spots in the specialty that you want, and then you put a rank list together, and the programs put a rank list together, and they match you up, and hopefully you get you know something in your first couple choices, which most med students do. So then when you start, you're called an intern. Now, that's an old term. Now, we use PGY, which is program year. So PGY1 is an intern. It's the same thing. Uh, so that's kind of your first year of training, and that's where July comes around, and we always talk about July 1st. July 1st, <laughs> and you get these new learners there, and they're deer in the headlights. And uh, and that's one thing I've always felt is that uh, academic medical centers are great places to practice for a couple different reasons. You can always get a physician to the bedside to see a patient. So it's the middle of the night, you know, there's residents around and, and having a physician evaluate that patient and then call another physician, maybe on call, the attending on call is a good level of care. And the other thing I like about it is I think it creates a more collegial environment with the nursing staff. I think the nursing staff probably feels a little less encumbered to make a phone call to an intern or a resident and ask them a question as opposed to an attending. So the education level and uh, communication that occurs between residents and nurses, I think, really elevates everybody's education. And I, that's why I think it's it's wonderful to be an academic medical center. But I didn't answer your question. You asked about fellows. Uh, well, I just <laughs> I asked the difference, but I just want to make a comment about the nursing staff and residents. I started my nursing career at an academic institution. I felt like it was an opportunity for the nursing staff. We kind of mentor those newer learners. It creates that culture of nursing is your partner and your peer instead of someone that you give orders to. When nursing really embraces new learners, it just helps build that collaboration. Ultimately, you have better patient care and it's a better work environment. Instead of being like two different teams, you're one team with the same goal. As always, Christy, you nailed it. You're spot on. Well, thanks. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're exactly right. It's, it's interesting, right? Because sometimes these med students become residents and they come in the ward and they forget that the nurse is their partner and they can learn a lot from the nurse. Some forget that. Some come in very willingly and openly recognizing that, but it's just like anybody's personality. Everybody's mm-hmm. a little bit different, but I, I, I wouldn't be the doctor I am without the nurses that trained me. I talk about faculty training me in residency and fellowship, and I still get trained by nurses every day. <laughs> and, it, and you're exactly right. It's that teamwork and that collegiality that, that really is what makes great care. Yeah. All right. So tell us the, tell us about the fellow. All right. What's the difference between the fellow and the resident? Good question. So as you progress in your training, PGY one, two, three, internal medicine is typically about a three year residency. Surgery is a five year residency. Most programs, when you're in your last year of training, you're called the chief resident. But some places like here, we do have designated chief residents in internal medicine. Right now, there's two that are in their fourth year of training, and they're truly administrative chiefs as opposed to just in the last year of internal medicine. So once you graduate from your program, your core program, if you want to do additional training and subspecialize, uh, then you do a fellowship. Like, for instance, our vascular fellows are in their sixth and seventh year of training. 
Uh, so they've all completed five years of general surgery residency, and they're board certified in general surgery. So they technically could be attendings somewhere else uh, functioning. Mm-hmm. Those fellows typically have a pretty high level of knowledge, expertise, and experience, but they're getting obviously additional experience in a subspecialized field. So that's so that's that's a fellow a step above a little bit. Yeah, don't tell them I said that. <laughs> To see that, Carolyn's vision to training vascular surgeons, Toledo was really on that path with the Jobs Vascular Institute. We kind of transitioned into working with UT more and expanding those opportunities for those new learners and providers. It's an important thing that we recognize how important it is, not just for our organization, so we keep providers here, but also for the community. And we have these general practitioners and specialists in the community. So when we need to see one, there's one available for us. You're spot on. And, and that's the beauty of you know Randy Oster and Chris Cooper getting together with their vision for the academic affiliation. And the true mission and goal of that is right to recruit and retain. We look at new programs and say, okay, where do we have deficiencies in our community? What other specialties do we need? That academic affiliation also, too, affords the opportunity to maybe get some higher level of subspecialization that the university might not have been able to acquire on its Mm -hmm. own in the past. But the affiliation provides enough resources to kind of do that, and we can explore into some unique research areas, uh, which is already occurring. So really a lot of good things for the community are coming out of that. What an impact that one woman made. She left quite a legacy. It is amazing. We probably average 20, 25 peer review publications a year at Jobs from a research perspective, and then we probably easily give. I had no idea it was that many. Yeah, we've got a pretty robust machine. It's great. And, and you know, the innovative and, in, and inquisitive nature of the group is why that keeps growing and developing. And we do everything from NIH-sponsored trials to industry-sponsored trials to things that our own surgeons and medical physicians come up with ideas for research. We mm-hmm. had one of the surgery residents rotate with us last year uh, from a research perspective. He's interested in vascular, and he did for his research year. He stayed at Job's and was very productive and brought a lot to the table. We've had med students do internships with us for research. It's really been fantastic. And you're exactly right. I mean, Carol, Line's legacy grows. We give about 50 presentations nationally and internationally on a yearly basis as well on podiums. And that logo goes up all over the world, which is really fun. And we take a lot of pride in that. Uh, but it's really, to your point, amazing how one woman could really transform not just healthcare in a lot of ways with the one of the most common things we prescribe, uh, but then leaving that legacy for Northwest Ohio to continue training and, and promoting vascular care. Yeah, I think that we need to really work on a way to highlight the stuff that Jobs is doing, because I feel like I know a lot about hospital. And I had no idea that you guys are doing so much research and publishing, doing podium presentations. You know, I was like kind of reading up on Conrad before we started this. I did come across one of your most recent publications, you and Dr. Safera, about uh, his story. And it was published, released in uh, November of 2020 in the American Surgeon Journal. Yeah, it was so. actually a medical student that came up with that idea. Wow. And they were, they were talking about innovators in medicine. And, and she created a poster and presented that at the American College of Surgeons annual meeting. And We were lucky enough to contribute a little bit to get our our names on the authorship of that. But yeah, Yeah. very, very proud. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit more about our progress in educating our medical providers. I wonder what med student, resident, and even a fellow's perspective would be about how the culture is at Toledo and why they want to be here. I think that's a great idea. That's a good topic for another podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what we can do about that. So until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Ratings and comments on those platforms will help us grow the podcast, and we appreciate the boost.